We are in a, still in our journey through the book of Mark. In our sermon series that we've titled Servant King. Hadn't planned to say this. It's interesting, though, that look back at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and you could see servitude written all over that in that story, can't you? Jesus ministers to the needs of those who are helpless and need him most. It's just indicative of the God that we serve and it's indicative of our Savior. He is the servant king and you know what? He's called us to be servants as well, hasn't he? Okay. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Before we we go much further. I, you know, if you're, if you're a new follower or, or you're new to our church, I want to open this up to you again. We're in this class called Growing Deeper, and man, I wish everyone could have been in our class today. It was amazing what God uh, was doing in our class, how he spoke to us, how he ministered to our hearts. Um, I encourage you, 1030 on Sunday, if you want to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ, um, come to the church or give me a call and we'll get one of these in your hand. We'll be on lesson three, I believe, next week. We're going to talk about the person of Jesus Christ. Come join us. I, it will enrich your life. You'll be glad you did. And it's for all walks of your life. Listen, if you could be following Jesus, you could have been following Jesus for 50 years or 50 minutes. We all can learn something new when we go to the scripture, can't we? Yeah, we can. Okay, I said this last week, but I think it bears repeating. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to live by faith. All followers of Jesus Christ are going to live by faith. Living by faith is not an option for us. I think we saw last week and we'll see again this week that God always allows things to occur in our lives that will grow us, that will stretch us, that will deepen our faith. He does that. Uh, I was sharing with my wife and, and some others today, you know, one of the greatest challenges that I have with preaching, and I think anyone that, that expounds on Scripture, is that you can't preach everything, the total context, in one sermon. And so, you know, today I'm finding myself having to reach back to last week and pull forward some of the text so that we can, so, so that we can um, have it all working together. And I think you'll see how these, these miracles that we're going to talk about today really complement each other. I titled this sermon today, You Are All I Need. You Are All I Need. Father, you know what's going through my head right now. All these thoughts are flooding my mind. I have all these notes on a page but I've been careful not to write you out of the script. So, calm my mind, give me crystal clarity, speak through me to your people, lift these words off the page, create a framework that they can hang some things on, some practical application for their lives. As we talk to them out of your, your word today, your word is truth. In Jesus' name. You are all I need. Let me read the passage. I'm going to go back to verse 41, though, 
because I think it'll help us to, to pick up where we left off in context and bring it forward. Matthew chapter 6, verse, verse 41. Are you there? Am I sure it's quiet today? You know, one of these days, you guys are going to be quiet. And I'm going to walk up here like a sanctified Holy Ghost preacher. I'm going to say, open your Bibles ha, to Matthew chapter 5. Yeah. <laughs> Keep away from <laughs> Y'all won't know what to do. Y'all be like, everybody lay hands on pastor, cast that thing out of him. Thank you. Thank you very much. Here we go. Matthew, or Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 41. Thank, thank, thank you, Vicky. Thank you for that. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set to set before the people. I love that he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them, and they ate all that were, and they ate all and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of fish. And those who ate loaves were about 5,000 men. Now keep in mind, I, I touched this last week. Conservative estimates are that there were at least 20,000 people there at the feeding of what we have named this in scripture, the feeding of the 5,000. It's just 5,000 men. So about 20,000 people. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Jesus was going to join them in Bethesda while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Man, man. <laughs> wow. Wow. How many of you have heard this story before? How many of you, whenever you hear this story, you can imagine what it, what it must have been like for Jesus to walk on the water? Wow. How about what it was like to see him walking on the water? Let me talk about that in a minute. Okay. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but they saw him walking on the sea. And they cried out on the sea, and they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they saw him, and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Man, those are some sweet words, aren't they? Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they, were utterly, and they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You know, I grabbed the wrong set of glasses this morning. I'm reading out of some old, old glasses. Y'all pray for the pastor. I need to be able to see today. Okay. 
Here's what I want you to understand from this text today. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, and then the subsequent rescue of the disciples really are all complementary miracles that are all connected to each other, and they all have one thing in common. They have one thing in common, and that's this. At all three of these miracles, in all three of these miracles, God presents circumstances in the lives of his people to grow their faith and their utter dependence on him and him alone. Today, God does the same thing with us. He's still doing the same thing. He still uses our present circumstances to drive us to a place of total trust and dependence on him and him alone. And I said it already, and I'll say it again. As followers of Jesus Christ, listen, we're going to have to live by faith, which means sooner or later we are going to have to learn to trust him and him alone, especially in the storms of life. I have a song here that was written by a friend of mine. You guys know him. And it was written by him during the time where his life was in turmoil. Um, I had the, the privilege of working with him and watching him go through this period of time. And every single day, he had to totally depend on God. Here's what he said in this song. The song is titled, You Are All I Need. I stand before a grave decision. Push to run, I will press in. Because you give me faith to remove my fears and turn my face against the wind. Out here, there is no indecision. Out where? Out there in the middle of the storm, man. Can't afford indecision in the storm. Out here, there is no indecision. Resting on what I feel is wise. My own devices, my own strength, my own skills. And I will not remain enamored with what will lead to my demise. You are all I need. You are all I need. Through the peril of rocks and waves, I'll find my way. You are all I need. You are all I need. I will worship none but the Lord of all. And I will watch my fiercest rivals fall. And I resolve to love you most of all. You are all I need. This message today is, is about how to face the storms in our lives. It's in our narrative today that God uses a storm to get his people's attention, to capture their attention. And listen, here's the truth. We may not see it all the time. We may not know it all the time. But when God allows storms to rage in our life, family, it's ultimately for our good. Doesn't feel like it all the time, but it's ultimately for our good. A very wise man told me this. He gave me this perspective a long time ago, and I want to give it to you. I want to share it with you because it's true. Here's what he said. He said, we are, we are always in one of three places in life. We're either currently in a storm coming out of one or heading into one. Storms of life come to us all. So here's the key takeaway that I want you to have from this message today. If you don't walk away with anything else, I want you to walk away with this. The storms in our life provide opportunities for God to reveal himself to us. 
The storms in our lives provide opportunity for God to reveal himself to us. There are three observations from this text today that I think will help us to navigate the storms of life. Here's the first. Often God permits storms in our lives. It's just as simple as that. God permits, God allows storms in our lives. I think this is a unique passage. I remember, I remember months ago now that, that Ryan taught Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35, where, where Jesus gives his disciples a choice to get into the boat. He kind of makes a suggestion, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. In this text today, that's not the case. We see Jesus commanding them to get into the ship, into the boat. This was a forceful command. They didn't have a choice with this. Jesus said, get into the boat and go to the other side. I'm going to meet you there. Why? I think that's interesting. I looked at all the different commentaries, and, and there's a bunch of different reasons, but I think really it boils down to two reasons. Here's the first. I think Jesus wanted them to take in, to absorb what just happened. I, I think he wanted them to realize what they just witnessed. They just witnessed God in action. They just witnessed and participated in Jesus feeding 20,000 plus people with five loaves of bread and two fish. I don't think it's sunk in yet. I think it was still fresh in their mind. And so I think Jesus wanted it to sink in. So he said, hey, listen, get in the boat, go to the other side, and I'll meet you over there. Here's the second reason why I think that Jesus commanded them to get in the boat. If you look in John, the, the parallel passage in John, this is John chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. After the disciples had fed the 5,000, they gathered 12 baskets full of bread fragments and then baskets of fish as well. And it was at that time when the crowd saw the miracle that they believed, okay, wait a minute now. Anybody that can do this, these miracles, this must be the prophesied Messiah. This must be the prophet that we've been waiting for to come and rescue us from the oppression of the Roman government. And so John tells us that they, they looked at Jesus and in that moment they sought to make him king. And so I think this is probably the primary reason why Jesus forced them to get into the boat, to get them out of that atmosphere that was just charged with excitement of a political nature. I believe that Jesus knew that his disciples were in danger of being sucked into this, this political um, gesture or arena that, that these people were setting up for them. And I believe that Jesus knew that if they were at the very minimum, it would delay what he wanted to do in their lives and even quite possibly derail their purpose or his purpose for them. So here's the point I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus commands them to get into the boat and go to the other side knowing in that command that there would be a storm. Knowing that they'd be faced with a storm. Jesus sent them into a storm. You know, sometimes Jesus sends us into a storm. 
Sometimes as followers of Christ, he, we'll find ourselves in the middle of a storm. We'll find ourselves in the middle of a storm just obeying what we believe Jesus told us to do, just simply obeying his instructions. How many of you know that's true? Listen, if, has, has, God, has God ever told you to do something and you know that it's God? You clearly know that it's God. And as you go to do it, all of a sudden it seems like all hell breaks loose. Ever had that happen? Hmm. Mm -hmm, I know I have. Man, I tell you, I've, I've ministered to people. I, 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 I know that God sent me to minister to a person on several occasions and pray for the pastor because sometimes I'm right in the middle of ministering to them and all of a sudden you can just see the enemy beginning to speak through them. And you're like, okay, God, now why would you send me into this chaos and confusion? Sometimes God sends us into a storms. But the storms are always for our good. So here's the question. In those moments where you begin to question Jesus, will you continue to obey him even if you don't know what he's doing? Here's a parallel question I think is just as important. Will you choose to obey him even when you don't think he knows what he's doing? Okay, I'm the only one here, man. <laughs> you ever get in one of those situations, you're like, man, God, do you really know what you're doing in this, really? In those times where we still choose to obey him. Hmm. Here's something else I think is important. I think it's an important distinction. You know, I hear all the time, if God was such a loving God, why would he cause sin to, to just like overtake us and stuff? Why would he cause these storms in our life? Well, newsflash, God doesn't cause storms. But he does allow them into our lives. I mean, I, 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 it's been a long time since I visited this, but I, I, seem, I seem to recollect that Back in the book of Job, on the day where all the sons of God were presenting themselves, God looks out and sees Satan and says, hey, man, uh, where are you going? He said, I'm walking about the whole earth seeking whom I may devour. And, and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered him? Job was getting ready to go into the midst of the storm. God didn't send the storm. But if you know the story, you know that God allowed the storm in Job's life. And at the end of Job's life, man, God had done such a work in his heart. He was a brand new person. Let me tell you something, man. God doesn't cause storms in our lives, but he does allow them in our lives. Ooh. Yeah. Sure is quiet in this church. Yeah. Thank you, Elder Bernier. I believe I will. So God often permits storms in our lives. Here's the second point. Jesus understands the nature of your storms. I love this. I love this. 
Jesus dismisses the crowd. He sends the disciples across the lake and he handles the crowd. He, he's, this must be the king. He's the king. He's the Messiah. And he's like, no, no, no. -uh. Hold up, hold up. Slow your roll, players. Hold up, hold up. Uh-uh, listen to me. The kind of kingdom I want to give you is not the kingdom that you're seeking me for right now. My kingdom is not the same kind of kingdom that you think that you want. You want me as king? <laughs> listen, you think you want to be the greatest? With me as king, you're going to have to learn to be the servant. Still want that kind of king? If you, want, if you want me to be the king, if you want to reign with me, you've got to suffer with me. Still want that kind of king? So no, you don't know what you're asking. I'm not, I'm not the kind of king you're looking for. You're not ready for me yet. So why don't y'all go away for a little while? My time is not yet. And he sends the crowd away. And then he does this. He goes up to the mountainside. And he, I love this man. He goes up there to pray and to be alone with his father. Remember, remember last week when I said, you know, that I think that Jesus was grieving the loss of his first cousin? And I think that Jesus wanted to be alone by himself, but he sees the needs of the people and he has compassion on them, so he moves right past his will into the will of his father, begins ministering to the needs of others. Remember that? Now Jesus is done ministering. He sent the crowd away. He goes to get alone with his father, and he prays. He's by himself. <laughs> Here's a side journey here for you. Which, by the way, let me put a little plug in for corporate prayer. If you missed corporate prayer yesterday, and many of you did, two things. First of all, we, we, listen, we, we are committed to being a praying church. Everybody have to say amen. amen. Old folks used to say, if you pray, you'll stay, baby. And if you fast, you'll last. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. That's crazy. Men ought to always pray and not faint, man. You missed a great time in corporate prayer. You should have heard Rob break down the truth that, you know, listen, it's one thing. I'm getting way ahead of myself. It's one thing to pray and thank God for stuff that he's blessed us with. It's another thing to come to God for who he is and to know who he is, to find your identity in him. And so it's one thing to pray for folks in our out. It's another thing to pray for, for, for specific people in our personal space in our in. It's another thing to be intimate with our father in our up and understand and receive everything that we need in him. That's what Jesus was doing. He'd gone away to be with his father. It's a pattern for us, man. Sometimes we have to get alone, away from family, away from friends, away from the crowd to be alone with Jesus, to be alone with God and God alone. <laughs> and here's what happens. Man, you know, I think today is the first time I'm, I'm having a squirrel moment right now. <laughs> man, those, those chocolate chip cookies sure do smell good. <laughs> <laughs> man. Wow, this is 
the first time I really stopped to think about it. Those chocolate chip cookies smell good. Save me some chocolate chip cookies, somebody. Save me some, y'all. Greedy gut hogs, gonna eat all the cookies before I get back there. So I'm gonna keep y'all here for a long time. Pray for y'all till you fall out so I can get back there and get my cookie first. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, baby. I feel my help coming, okay. Nate, Nate, is there any way to scratch that off the tape? No, okay. No, don't do that. Okay, there you go. Okay, so check this out, man. Jesus is on the side of the mountain by himself alone, and he has a bird's eye view of the peril that his disciples are in. He knows exactly where they're at. He knows exactly what they're going through. He sent them across the lake sometime around dusk, so probably around 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening. And, and, G, and, and the scripture says that at the fourth watch, which is somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus steps off the side of the mountain. Listen, that means for, for eight or nine hours he had watched them in this ship and they had only gotten out about three and a half miles out on the lake. They were toiling, man. They were like three and a half miles out there on the lake and Jesus sees them. He's watching the whole thing. He understood what they were going through. So, now somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning, the boat was being rocked and beaten by the waves that was caused by a strong north wind that, that, was, coming across, that was coming across the lake. <laughs> and Scripture says that he saw them painfully making headway. That Greek phrase there, that Greek word painfully means torture. It means they were literally being tortured with every stroke. <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could hear those guys mad. Jesus commanded me to go across the water, man. This wind hit me in the face, getting beat up by the, by the oars, and I'm tired now, Jesus. Where are you? Thought you were supposed to meet me. If I make it, I might meet you, but it doesn't look like I'm going to make it. Toiling. Torture. They were tired trying to get to the other side. Where are you, Jesus? And here's what I want you to see, man. These, most of these men, they were resourceful, man. They were, they were fishermen. They, they knew the water. They weren't strangers to the water. <laughs> but they weren't making any headway, man. They weren't moving forward at all. Don't you think that in that moment they knew just how desperately that they needed Jesus? You know, often we're like the disciples. Yeah. We, but, but we still haven't gotten to the point that, that we realize that there's nothing we can do without Jesus, so we continue to row. We don't realize that we, we're taking struggles and the cares of this life and the care for ourselves and the care of others into our own hands. And, our, and so we're still rowing, trying to use our own strength and our own resources and our own cleverness and our own ingenuity. And Jesus is sitting on the side of the mountain watching. We strain against the storms. We row with all our might. We end up feeling tired, worn out, washed up, getting nowhere. 
because we fail in that moment to tap into the limited resources, limited resources, limitless resources of our God. And so our toil becomes torment. Then in the midst of the storm, we, we lose focus. We get bitter. We become angry. We become afraid. Where's Jesus? Where's God when we need him in the midst of the storm? Man, I tell you what, I, my wife and I, I hadn't planned on saying this either, but my wife and I were going through a, man, a crucial time in our life. Many of you know about this several years ago where it looked like we were going to lose it all. And we just kept persevering. But then we got to a point where one of the most precious things to us seems like it was slipping through our fingers and we were powerless and helpless to do anything in our own strength. Helpless. I told Pelzetta, I said, this is the first time in my life where I got nothing. I have no resources. I have no ingenuity. I have no power. I have no, no experience. I have nothing. Nothing to get me out of this crisis. And I remember standing on the edge of my bed She'd walked in the bathroom. We were both in tears. And I stood on the edge of my bed. And on my footboard, I just pictured myself like one of those world championship wrestlers, you know, those guys, the, the fakey ones, you know, <laughs> the ones that, you know, they reach, try to get to the guy so they could tap out. You know what? You guys that watch WWF, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But in that moment, man, that's all I could think of was tapping out. I'm like, I'm like, God. I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing left. I need you. I think Jesus sits on the side of the mountain waiting for us to get to that point. Waiting for us to get to the end of our own solutions so he can join us in our storm. So from our text today, first, God permits the storms in our lives. They shape us, they mold us, whether we like it or not. He permits them to happen, it's for our good. Second, Jesus understands the nature of our storms. There's a passage in Psalms, I think Psalms 93, that speaks to Jesus creating the storms and being the Lord over the storm. And then my third and final point is Jesus comes to us in our storms. I love this part, man. Because, check this out. Jesus comes off the side of the mountain. He comes off the side of the mountain. They are three and a half miles out in the middle of this lake. The winds are boisterous. The waves are crashing. They're, beat, they're getting beat up. And Jesus steps off the side of the mountain and begins walking towards them in the midst of the storm. And I don't know why for all of my life I had this, this visual image that everything was calm except for where the boat was. 
You know what I mean? That, that, that where the disciples were, that, that's where, you know, the, the sea was all tumultuous. I don't know why I had that picture in my mind. No, Jesus is walking across the waves in the middle of a storm three and a half miles to get to his peeps. Wow. I was, I was cracking myself up as I was talking with the Holy Spirit about this. Man, can you imagine, can you imagine if you was Jesus' partner and you were like surfers? It just wouldn't be fair, would it? You out there trying to ride your surfboard on the wave and Jesus kind of like, what's up, y'all? Look, look, can you imagine if you was on the swim team? Would that be like to be like Jesus? He's like the high dive guy. You know, he steps on the edge and everybody's like, okay, what's he going to do now? So Jesus dives off the diving board, gets to the water and just kind of shh. <laughs> Walks across and says, takes one for the camera and just Pff. I don't want to, do, you guys think that the pastor's borderline. So I'm just thinking, it just wouldn't have been fun being Jesus' partner back in that day. I mean, he could have done anything. But here's the point, man. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to don't Don't get lost in the humor. Here's the point. Jesus, God in the flesh, walks across the water to get to his people. He comes to us in the middle of our storm. He doesn't wait for the storm to subside. He comes to us, Rob, in the middle of our storm. He joins us in whatever it is that we're going through. Fully God, fully man, fully relational, fully engaged because he loves us just that much. He joins us in the storm. Hmm. So no matter how rough the seas are, how strong the winds are in our lives, Jesus joins us there. He knows the troubles that you're in because he's in there with you. Verse 48 says this, and now I'll be close to closing with this. Verse 48 says, and he meant to pass them by. That translates, he meant to pass right by them within their view. It was what the, the scholars call a crust, uh, 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 um a Christophany or a theophany. It's, it's God being revealed in tangible ways so that humanity can see. When that scripture says Jesus meant to pass by them, it's like Jesus really was meaning to just say, hey man, you guys, listen, it's okay. I'm here. It's okay. You'll get to the other side. Just follow me. He meant to pass them by and keep going. But they got scared. They got afraid because they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. They didn't, they, the, the scripture says they didn't recognize what he had done with the fish and the loaves. Here's God standing right there in front of them and they didn't even recognize him. So instead of being able to pass by because they had great faith, he has to stop and speak to them and say, hey, don't be afraid. It's me. And then he gets in the boat with them. The scripture says the wind stops immediately. I want to close with this. 
And Mitch, you can come to the panel if you would. Here's the lesson in this. It's one thing to know what God can do and what he's capable of. It's something entirely different to recognize him for who he is. It's one thing to recognize Jesus for the miracles that he's done in your life. It's another thing to recognize and acknowledge him as God, because he is. It's not always easy to trust God in the midst of a storm. But God always uses the storms in our lives as opportunities to reveal himself to us. I want you to stand to your feet, if you would. All of us at one time or another have been in that boat, haven't we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, not taking anything for granted. You know, we can put it on and make it seem like everything is okay. Put on a happy face. But what, what storms are you facing right now? What winds are blowing uncontrollably in your life right now? What storms are you facing that you're trying to navigate through in your own strength, in your own ingenuity, in your own wisdom? I believe the Lord wants you to know today that no matter what you're going through, he is all you need. He is all you need.